Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be left to be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. We're continuing in our, in, our, in our series this morning of looking at this great man of faith, Abraham, and he's still Abram in this chapter here, so we'll be referring to him as that way as Abram. And uh, if you did not hear last week's sermon in regards to chapter 14, I encourage you to do so. Uh, this, this chapter picks up right after that, after some time that that uh, we don't know how long a time has passed between the two chapters, but we do know we get to see that the Lord initiates a dialogue here with Abram that is uh, stunning. This chapter, this story in the Bible that is true, this account of God engaging with uh, Abram is overwhelming. It has become one of my favorite accounts of God in the Bible. This has been a rich uh, preparation time for me, and I hope that 
Uh, by God's grace, your eyes will see, your ears will hear, and your heart will be moved in who this God is for us. Okay? So as we look in our words, I want you to be having your Bibles open. Okay? Have your Bibles open in Genesis chapter 15. We are going to be traveling through this passage together. Some of the scriptures will be on the screen. Some of them will not be. So that's why I want you to be looking through it with me. We are going to see how uh, this beautiful story uh, brings about a doctrine called justification. Uh, justification for Abraham. He was justified by faith. Okay? So that's going to be where we're going with this this sermon this morning. And it's, again, it is a thrill to be with you here this morning to unpack uh, what God, who God is and the opportunities we have to follow Him beginning this morning. So there's a question that I have as I went through this text, and, is, and I think it's repeated throughout this, this account, is uh, what do we do with our doubts? What do we do with our doubts? What do we do with our questions, our our second guesses, our hesitations, even our fears. Uh, and we, we all have them. We're all in this boat together. We all have doubts and questions and fears. We have them about one another. We have them about nations. We have them about ourselves. Uh, we even have them about our Lord. Uh, we have these doubts. We have these fears. And many of us probably had them even this morning. Even this morning, it can be fresh. Uh, I know that to be true. I've talked with several of you in, this in the room this morning. I know this to be true. So know that those conversations that uh, we've had this morning, the few that I've had with you, but also the ones that you bring un unspoken to in this room, bring them to the Lord. Bring them to the Lord. What do we do with our doubts? The Lord starts off this dialogue, and it is a unique dialogue. This is the only account where the Lord is speaking to a man clearly uh, that is not a prophet, clearly in the first five books of the Bible, in the Pentateuch. And he begins, the Lord begins with saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What a great thing to hear from a holy an awesome and magnificent Lord? Fear not, for I am your shield. Does anyone else need a shield in this room? Anyone here? Yeah. I see those hands. God bless you. I need a shield. I need a shield even before I recognize I need a shield. The Lord starts off this whole conversation by saying, fear not. I know what you're feeling, Abram. I know what you're feeling even before you feel it, even before you speak it. Fear not, I am your shield. What a gift, a tender, powerful gift of the Lord to say, I am your shield. I will protect you. Your reward shall be very great. And how does Abram respond to this great, strong, clear direction from the Lord? He starts off with having doubts of the Lord. This is Abram's response. I have doubts about you. Now let's remember, Abram is a tender 75 years of age. He's 75 years of age. 
and the Lord is having this great conversation with him in a vision. He's not dreaming. This is a vision. Abram has doubts of the Lord. Let's read together verse 2 through 3. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. The reason why he's bringing this up to the Lord is because back in chapters, uh, what was it? Back in chapter 12, when we started this, this whole series started in chapter 12, 1 through 3, and then chapter 13, 14 through 17, the Lord is telling him in this, these chapters, these accounts, that I'm going to do a great thing through you. You're going to have a great land. You're going to have many possessions, and you're going to have children. Uh, you're going to have descendants, as, as many as, as the dust of the sand. So Abram was listening. Abram was listening in the earlier chapters, the earlier accounts, the earlier uh, conversations with the Lord. And so he's, he's got doubts. He's checking. He's like, so when's this happening? I'm, I'm not getting any younger. He's 75, and he's been promised that he's going to be having descendants. They're going to populate this beautiful land. And the Lord responds by saying in verse 4, This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. This is getting specific now. This is new information. Your very own son. This is going to come from you. So remember, Abram's 75. Sarai is probably near the same age. His wife, they have been childless this whole, their whole marriage. They have no children. And so he found a member of the household who was going to be his heir. His heir. He's 75. And so God, I think, does, the Lord does something a little bit further. And I, I almost wonder if he takes his hand and he says, come outside with me. Come outside. He brought him outside, verse 5. Look toward heaven, he says, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, to him, so shall your offspring be. Just last week, I was up at about 9,000 feet in elevation, and the campfire had gone out. Had gone down smaller and smaller and smaller, and I could see now the, the stars, the Milky Way galaxy was right there. Planes were flying overhead, but I could, I was, I was thinking of this passage, and I'm looking up at the stars, and I'm thinking, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. It didn't take very long. I didn't get to near 20, but it was like, this is overwhelming, and I can't even see all of them. I can't even see all of them. But what a great object lesson. Object lessons are important. Um, what a great object lesson, a great visual aid the Lord gives to Abram, and he goes, and, the, and it has its effect. And he says, so shall your offspring be. This is a convincing conversation that, that Abram is having with the Lord. Verse 6 and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So if I, if I read between the lines a little bit here, I remember that Abram is 75 years of age, and he's having this convincing conversation with the Lord, and, but it still takes an engagement of belief, and the Lord recognizes this belief as true, as solid. It is, it is authentic. It is authentic. It's an authentic belief, an authentic faith of Abram. He says, he looks at himself, he looks at his sagging skin, and he's like, 
You say it, I believe it. I'll believe it. And so this is how we begin the understanding Abraham. He, he changes his name in a couple chapters. Abraham is the man of, a man of faith that so much follows after that we'll get to some of that today and in future weeks. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want to look at Galatians chapter 3. Turn there in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. And we're going to see how the New Testament identifies and helps us see a little bit more clearly, a little bit more brightly, what is happening in the Old Testament here in Genesis. Chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, those who are outside the Hebrew uh, race, those would justify the Gentiles by faith. People like me, maybe people like you. And preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed among the Abraham, along with Abraham, the man of faith. The gospel is being preached back in Genesis. And Paul is recounting it here as he sees how things have unfolded for us. It's a beautiful picture of how faith in the Lord is what brings salvation. Faith is what brings justification before God. A holy God, an all-powerful God, an all-seeing, all-knowing, everlasting God. When you are justified by faith, that means that you, that God sees you just as if you have never sinned and you have always obeyed. You are seen as righteous. And we find that faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. More on that later. You know, so Abram starts off with this, having doubts of the Lord, and then he turns and very, uh, very similar to probably me, maybe like you, but it's very realistic. This one verse, from verse 6 to verse 8, there's a verse in between. Let's read verses 7 through 8. Abram doubts himself. Abram doubts himself. Abram says, and said, and said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram replies, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How do I know that I can handle this? How do I know that there's a battle that I need to, to, to win, to fight, to win? How am I to know, how am I to know that I'm not gonna mess this up? How am I to know these things? I need more. I need more definition of this picture that you're painting, God. I need more. I trusted that you're going to give me a child. It doesn't make sense. I'm 75 years old, and I hurt in too many places to think about having another child, having a child, my first child at 75. And just a little spoiler alert, we've got to wait 15 years for, for something to happen. So stay tuned in a couple weeks. But he's 75, he's trusting God, and his credit to him, his counted to him, his righteousness, and now he's turning it on himself. Not only do I have doubts about you, but I have doubts about me. Abram. Abram doubts himself. So realistic to have this moment of clarity where like, I believe, I believe what you're saying, God. Yeah, you have brought me out of her. Yeah, I did have to win some battles. 
yeah, it was pretty risky. And now all of a sudden, how am I supposed to know I can handle this? How am I supposed to know which battle I'm supposed to win? How do I know which, which way to turn? What are the definitions here? Let's read 9 through 12 together. The Lord has Abram making preparations here. This is interesting. 9 through 12. So the Lord says to him, bring me a heifer three years old. That's a thousand pound animal. Prime condition. That's why these are three years old. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old. They're all in their prime, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So the Lord's asking this of Abram. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. So really what is happening here is he's cut these animals in half. You know, like I said, a thousand pound animal, that heifer. So we got half a beef on this side, half a beef on that side. Goat, ram, the birds. Didn't cut those birds up. In verse 11, this is, this past week, this is one of the favorite verses of one of our pastors, Wes Moore. He just really loved that, that. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them all away. Wes thought that was funny. You know, get away, get away from the animals. They passed right on by, but I like the humor. I like it. What a comical scene to see that Abram's trying to do his best to protect this meat that is, that is laid out, and there's an aisle between these, these, the, the, the carcasses. And Abram isn't told what this is for. He's just told what to do, and he's just simply obeying. And I'm not sure Abram really knows what is about to happen here. And so if you have ever had to process an animal, you know there's a lot of wrestling and pulling, and I think Abram's doing this all by himself. He's, he just slaughtered three different animals. And the sun was going down. The sun was going down. Let's read that, verse 12. And the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram. That, I get that. He just processed three massive animals. And he's been chasing these birds of prey away, trying to keep it pure. But the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Have you ever been a part in a situation where you have felt great darkness? Great darkness. Maybe playing a hide-go-seek, and you go and hide in a closet, and you just can't see your, your hand in front of your face. Maybe, maybe you've been out in the woods, and you've been chasing a beer, and your head, headlamp goes off, and you can't see anything, and now you're really, really, it's really, really, really dark. But have you ever been a part of where not just it's great darkness, but a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him? It even says beforehand, it says, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Like, behold always means pay attention. Pay attention. Great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. He's 75. And he's be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation 
for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This great, dreadful, this darkness makes me think to another darkness that, that happens later in the New Testament. And Jesus is hanging on the cross and for three hours darkness fell over the land. This darkness, I believe, is a holy, holy moment. God is engaged. He's engaged. He is fully making himself alive to people, to, to Abram in this moment. Abram is in a deep sleep, but God is speaking to him, and, a, and, and Abram is going to come, to, to come alert and realize what is happening here. The Lord gives a great account of what's going to happen in with, as the Hebrews are enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and that all comes to, comes to pass and comes in the, in the coming years to, uh, in advance. But Abram had doubts about himself, and the Lord has put him into a deep sleep to communicate this, these truths to him, foretelling what is going to be happening. And the Lord is about to do something brand new here, something, something that separates him from all other, all other gods, all other religions. Don't get this one confused with people climbing some mountain to, uh, to come see some monk, some sage or something like that to get... Uh, an, an idea of what nirvana may be like or, or what, what, how they can be reincarnated. This is not to be confused with that. This is a different God. This is a holy God. This is the God of one and three persons. The Lord makes a covenant with a doubter. Abram has doubted the Lord. He's doubting himself. He's full of doubts. And the Lord, the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies of all creation is about to make a covenant with Abram. Now, let's, let's answer this question. What is a covenant? It's not a contract. It's not an agreement. It's much more than that. A, a covenant is unchangeable, an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man. It stipulates the conditions of their relationship. So this is how things happened back then. They didn't have a written culture at that time. They didn't have manuscripts. They didn't have um, a, a boardroom. You know, those of you who have had the opportunity to to sign at a title company to buy your house, and there's 200 pages of paper that you get a pen out, and you get a writing cramp, and you, and you write out your signature a whole bunch of times, promising to pay back every cent and more with interest to what the money you're borrowing. That's the way we operate today. Uh, they didn't have this contract back then. They had a covenant. They had covenants that they would actually act out, act out the, the agreement that has been, been played out. Okay, so now to, to get a little bit of better understanding of this, I'm going to look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah has an account of, an, of, a, of a covenant being played out. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 34, and I believe it's verse 18 and 19. And the men 
who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. So what would happen here is, is when people are making covenants in this ancient time, they would, in, in Jeremiah's case, they cut up a calf. And these two men agreed, says like, if hey, I don't pay you back what I told you I would pay you back by such and such time, um, it would be the same to me as this calf. I would be dead, okay? And both men, both agreeing parties would pass through the pieces. They would pass through the pieces of this, of this calf that has been torn in two. And so let's go back with the understanding of that's how covenants played out during this ancient time. Now we see there's, there's carnage up here. There's, there's a heifer, there's a ram, there's a goat, there's a couple birds that are not cut in two, but they're on either side. And look at what God does next. Let's read verse 17 together. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, it, it's, it's darker now. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Okay, so now we know that this is, this is a representation of the Lord. This is very similar fire and presence that the Lord demonstrated later with Moses in Mount Sinai. This pot, this smoking fire pot, is, is uh, another term for that would be a billowing smoke. Billowing smoke. Smoke that's just billowing out. And a flaming torch, another uh, maybe even more accurate term to this would be blazing lightning. It's like the whole idea of lightning in a bottle, but bigger. So it's like blazing lightning. It's constant. It's this figure of, of lightning that is, that is fixed as it's coming down the aisle between the pieces that Abram has provided. Who's walking between the pieces? It's the Lord. The Lord is walking between the pieces. Who's not walking between the pieces? Abram. This is a very unique covenant, folks. This is the God of the universe, the holy of holies, walking between the pieces saying, if I don't fulfill what I have declared, my promise to you, so be it to me, the holy of holies. That, do you see what, what God is doing here, how he is revealing himself? Again, don't get him confused with another religion, another God, because they don't do this. They don't do this. Who is walking between the pieces? It's the Lord. Who is not walking? It is Abram. The Lord is saying, if he does not fulfill this promise, so shall it be with like these dead animals. What has Abram done to receive this kind of treatment? He has been hand-selected. He has been chosen. The Lord has brought him to himself. Remember the beginning of this whole conversation? 
Fear not. I am with you. I'm your shield. I will protect you and I will give you many great things. The Lord is selected Abram to be his representative. And Abram believes. Abram has faith and it is credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. His faith is what is his response to God. And now God is laying out this covenant for all of us to see. This is a God that is different. Abram has done nothing to receive this blessing. Is this an account of a man pursuing God? No, it's quite the different, quite the opposite. It's, it's God pursuing Abram. God initiating the conversation way back in verse one. God pursues him. It's a grace covenant. He did nothing to earn this. It is, he is, it is unmerited favor that God is doing this for Abram. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's so important to get this doctrine of faith into our heads, into our hearts, that we are to trust God, to trust him, to have faith. Even in our times of weakness, we gotta call out to him and have faith because we have times of weakness. Again, some of us this morning, we have times of weakness where we trust him. We have faith in him. And this is in times where I think, for those of you with young families, this is a time where this is when you want to have great godly friends. Godly friends who can surround your children and have great influence with them. I, can, I have an account of what happened to me uh, back in 2010 on the shores of California, Southern California. We're staying with some friends and I'm watching my friend talk to my, my nine-year-old who's turning 21 this month. And he looks at her and he says, I, don't, I forget what the preluding conversation was, but he says this, and I've said it, I've, I've, I've robbed him of his quote, it's, it's mine now. He says, you know what? God likes it when we trust him. He really likes it. What a great truth. What a great age-appropriate language to speak to a nine-year-old from a friend. It's not dad preaching at her. It's a friend, and she listens to that. I probably listened to it a little bit more than she listened to that. But God likes it when we trust him. He wants to be trusted. He wants us to walk in faith. It's a discipleship moment. In our faith in Jesus, we are justified even when we doubt. In our faith in Jesus, we are justified. Remember that word justified, just as if I've always obeyed and have, and have never sinned. We are justified in our faith in Jesus, even when we doubt. Even when we doubt. Abram tells us this. Isn't this good? Isn't this God good? Goodness, he is good. This is a powerful moment that we get to witness what happened to Abram that changed the people group, changed the world. Isn't God good? Even when we have doubts, and some of you have doubts, and this came to me just even this morning. I changed the PowerPoint this morning. I changed this. We had an opportunity as pastors to lead our staff in some shaky ground this week, 
And I thought, there is no better application for us to share this with you. So when you are feeling shaky, when you are feeling uncertain, when you have doubts, when you have questions, and you're kind of stuck, you got this, this pit in your stomach, you almost feel nauseous. You're not feeling good at all. You're feeling like your world is about to crumble. You're feeling like, I don't know what to feel. Like, this is the important thing. First of all, name it, okay? Name it. When you have doubts, name it. So, men, that means much more than saying, I feel bad. Bad is not a feeling. Find some, find some feeling words. Go and find a woman and say, help me figure out some feeling words. I feel terror. I feel uncertain. I feel frustrated. I feel angry. I feel angry and I continually feel angry. Angry, angry all the time. Name it. We destroy, in 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against us in the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Name it and take it to the Lord. Secondly, how do you do that? You go vertical, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word because is, answers the question why. Why should I cast my, my anxieties on, on God, on Jesus? Why should I do that? Because he cares for you. He doesn't say you'll feel better after doing it. Remember that. He doesn't say you're gonna feel better after casting your anxieties on, you, on him, but be obedient because this is a direct command. Cast it, and that's not a fly rod. There you go, Lord, I'll take it back. There you go, I'll take it back. It's a drop net. Cast it, cast it, let him have it. He cares for you, it's his truth. So name it, go vertical. Third, go to the word of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God changes us. Follow these options when you're having doubts. I think going to God's word repeatedly, repeatedly being faithful to cast it, he's gonna have transformation for you. It does not go unheard, know that. It does not go unheard. It's not based on our performance. Jesus has done it all. He, he, he's based, it's based on what he has done. It's not based on our performance. It's based on what he has done. God is, the Lord has done it here with Abram, and Jesus is doing it with us today. Look at this passage with me, Hebrews 16, 6, 19 through 20. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We learned about here. Anchors are important. Anchors are important. Those of you who have boats, you know even more how important anchors are. My family and I, oftentimes in the summertime, we'll go up to Horsetooth and we'll sit on these little floaty rafts and we'll just float out in the water and just have conversations and look at the sky and relax. It's a great thing to do. And we, but we don't have anchors. So one time we, 
We swam out a little bit farther past the swim beach, you know, calculated risk, and got out near a buoy. And I was holding on to a buoy that is anchored to the bottom of the, of the, of the reservoir floor. So I'm hanging on the, to the, the buoy as my anchor, and Emma's holding on to my foot, and Ron is hanging on to her foot, and we got this little daisy chain going. And we're just, and actually no one's talking at this point. We're simply relaxing. That's all we're doing. Except me, I'm holding on, holding on. And finally I decide, and I let go. And about five minutes later, the, the little, you know, I wouldn't call it tide, but the waves moved us, moved us gently, gently. We didn't even know we were really moving, but I knew because I let go. And I said, Emma, look up. And she looks up and she's like, oh, Dad, we're all the way almost towards shore. And I'm like, so then I gave her a lesson, you know. <laughs> See what happens when you don't have your anchor. See what happens in life, in faith, when, when you stop fellowshipping with followers of Jesus, loving one another, confessing your sins one another, praying for one another, being in his word, showing up, serving, giving. See what happens when you, you just drift. But we have this anchor in Jesus. Jesus is this anchor for our soul. He is the hope. He is our hope. He is, and, and Jesus, as we look at him, who ended up giving his life? It was Jesus. Jesus is the one who, on that dark and dreadful day for three hours, and the Lord recognized, you know, that this, he's taken on the curses of this world, and God gave himself. But three days later, he proved he was God and rose from the dead. This is a God who is worthy of being trusted. This is a God who changes your life. This is a God of second chances and second chances and second chances. And when we fail him with, with thinking that we're going to be, we got it, thinking that we got it and that we, we're going we're to believe you, and then we fail just like moments later, a verse later, we start doubting again. Our God is faithful, and he has justified you in your faith in Jesus. But some of you have not received this faith. Some of you have not engaged your faith in Jesus. And I tell you, don't wait. Don't wait. There's a coming, a coming time that you will, you will be accountable for your life. You'll be accountable for your sin. For every person, it's heaven or hell. If you have Jesus, it's heaven. If you have your own works, your own life, your own efforts, it's hell. Forever. Separated. Separated from God forever. And ever. And the ever after that. You don't want that with a holy God. He is just. You don't want that. God is faithful even when we are not. And we are justified in our faith in Jesus even when we doubt. So I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to respond to God between you and the Lord. Some of you need a definable moment. Some of you need a time to say, I'm done on my own. I'm done being the Lord of my own life. I need a Lord. I need a Savior. If that's you, that's between you and God. But you've got to let people know. You've got to let people know.
If you want a new, heart, a new start, a new life in Jesus to where you are seen by a holy God as just as if you've never sinned and have always obeyed, if you are ready for that for the first time, you pray to Jesus. He's there ready for you. And come let me know. I'll be sitting in the front row. Uh, let's close in prayer together. Father, we come to you and we know that you are good. You are so, so good. Goodness, you are so good. Jesus, thank you for your precious word that guides us. Thank you for your precious life offered on that cross as a sinless man. Your life was ended as a greatest sacrifice. Jesus, thank you. What else can we say besides thank you? Praise your holy name that you are willing to lay down your life, knowing how painful and humiliating it would be for people to spit on you, shove a crown of thorns into your skull, to take lash after lash upon your back, and to be nailed on a cross for a painful, painful death. Jesus, you did it all for love. You did it all for us. Lord, thank you for your gospel in the Old and New Testaments. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us in powerful ways. Help us to not take you for granted. Prevent, forgive us for taking you for granted, Lord, because we do. And for those in the room who, who want to say no to themselves and say yes to you for the first time, Yes, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. Uh, it's their faith in you, Jesus, that justifies them, even when they have doubts. So, Lord, do a mighty work in this room. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.